Welcome to Stoner. Uh, on this week's show, we are going to talk about terpenes. They are what give marijuana its smell and its taste and perhaps its effects. Uh, so I called up Amanda Mack. She's the founder of Terp School, which is a uh, educational program for bud tenders. Hello, Amanda Mack uh, of the Terp School. Hello, Aaron. How are you today? I'm good. Uh, I'm uh, I'm calling you. You're in Washington State, is that right? Uh, yes, I'm in Bellingham, Washington, up in the north of the state. So you are a fellow radio host. Uh, I have come to understand. Uh, yes, I have a radio show on the public airwaves in Bellingham on ninety four point nine uh, KZAX. It's an LP FM, low power FM station, and we talk about cannabis, politics, music, and opinion. What kinds of questions do you get on local community radio in Bellingham, Washington, um, particularly in the marijuana-oriented uh, segment of the show? I would say that we ask the argument against highest THC product the most. Interesting. Uh, we're, yeah, it's the biggest misnomer that we're fighting in the cannabis industry. And so that one is definitely the hottest topic. Um, it takes a little bit of background information understand the cannabis plant to know why shopping for the highest THC is not a good thing. Uh, we've had a movement on this show for a long time. Um, it's alternately been known as the um, shitty weed movement or the go back to mediocre weed movement. And it's uh, towards someone who will produce absolutely average kind of like you would buy in high school weed. And that's its entire brand. Uh, yeah, there uh, seem to be a lot of outdoor brands that do that. Yeah, uh, I feel like outdoor is, shop- is the closest corollary. Yeah, they, they come down with their one large harvest a year generally, and then uh, they put it out on the market for a fire sale. <laughs> no, <laughs> because it's not usually fire weed. Yeah. Um, and then the retailers go after this attractive deal on a extremely low price per gram and then they flood their inventory with this cheap product. Um, and you see as a craft boutique brand uh, lower sales at this time of year because it's Croptober. So the market is currently being flooded with a lot of this uh, lower-end outdoor. Now, is all outdoor lower-end? No, absolutely not. We have some really upstanding brands even here in our county of Whatcom County of uh, Washington. We have 63 farms between indoor and outdoor in our county alone. And so these are a little bit of everything, but um, that is one thing we've noticed October through December, um, higher priced craft, uh, qual- high quality product uh, have lower sales because of uh, this phenomenon that happens at this time of the year. I'm from um, Berkeley, California. And I remember I would be visiting back at my mother's house and you'd see on Craigslist around this time of year, like, people would just start flooding the market with like, they're like dispensary didn't buy it. Or I'm just like trying to unload a bunch of like extra outdoor weed at like absurdly cheap prices, like out of the back of my Honda civic. Uh, it's definitely like a longstanding, like market phenomenon. Yeah. And you know, they come to realize that they're not going to get the money that they thought they were. And it's all just a very big surprise and a race to the bottom for a lot of people it really hurts uh, quality, and unfortunately, the consumer doesn't know know any better. Right, and uh, they just see a good um, a good deal, 
and then uh, they become accustomed to your product that perhaps has a bunch of pesticides in it. Maybe it gets them really high for 20 minutes, but then the high disappears. Um, it's just it's uh, because those products have not been cured. So that's that's just another yet, yet another education uh, hurdle that we have to deal with. What do you recommend for people like who are calling in and saying like uh, I'm like dissatisfied with like all of these like high THC options because a lot of times I feel like in dis- my limited dispensary uh, visits there's almost no non high THC options. Yeah, what you'll want to look for is a farm that's testing for terpenes. Um, if they're doing that, uh, it's going to signal to me that that farm uh, actually cares about their cultivation process and the end product. And so that's always a good place to start asking um, questions of the bud tender. Um, if the farm is doing more, is doing extra, then you're heading in the right direction. Um, for example, the farm that I am associated with, we have a full spectrum. I, I have lower end THC, but full terpene profile uh, strains available that's not going to send you into paranoia and anxiety and things like that, but you're still going to actually feel high for a long time. Okay, so let's rewind here. Because I feel like, even though we've talked about this on the show before, um, I would be loath to even define what terpenes are. And you are presently the founder and proprietor of a school with the terpene name uh, built into it. So tell me a little bit about your history with the study of terpenes and where you feel like, like if you're sitting next to someone on a plane how you explain to them what terpenes are, assuming this is a pretty open-minded plane conversation. This isn't necessarily a conversation you want to get with on every single plane you're on, but let's say Washington to like uh, (laughs) Vancouver, safe conversation for the plane. I definitely just had this conversation in Costa Rica with a gal who was headed back to living uh, at home in Las Vegas. And it was a great conversation. So uh, perfect um, corridor for this conversation. (laughs) Yeah, I have these conversations quite often, as you could probably imagine. Yes. So terpenes are organic hydrocarbons. That's the fancy definition. But what I like to call terpenes is they're the essential oils of nature. Those are the oils inside of cannabis that are giving it its smell and its taste profiles. But what we're coming to find out is that terpenes actually enhance or control even to a great extent the experience that you have when you consume a particular kind of cannabis. So when I take a a draw off of something, I could feel happy and uh, energized and focused, or I could feel um, relaxed and active and want to do my laundry. Now, those are terpenes that are controlling that, those moods and the uh, activities that you inevitably find yourself doing, those are coming from the terpenes. That's not coming from the THC. THC in itself is responsible for the paranoia and anxiety. It's responsible for the psychoactivity, but psychoactivity in and of itself, we don't need just that. We actually need terpenes as well as other cannabinoids like CBD to mitigate the effects of THC. And so 
when you have a product that's been really been cared for, they're going to have um, a significant amount of terpenes present in the cannabis. And what's really cool about that is there's 30, there are thir- over 30,000 terpenes found across nature, plants, flowers, foods, um, so far. We're fine. We have found that about 150 of those terpenes are also present in cannabis. Now, with cannabis prohibition, there's also been prohibition on research. So we don't know a lot about this plant, um, and we're having to reverse a lot of what we thought we knew. Well, terpenes are separate in that they have had their own trials and studies. And so we can see that particular terpenes give anti-inflammatory benefits, uh, antimicrobial benefits. they fight cancer, they fight leukemia, tumors, uh, et cetera. There's even apinine, which is a terpene that dilates your bronchioles. So the old adage, you know, smoking's bad for you, smoking's going to make you cough. Well, there's actually a terpene in there that helps me not cough, for example. Um, and so terpenes are this, the essential oils of nature, and nature has what we need is what we say at terp school. So what we're going to find over time, as we have more information, that terpenes are actually controlling the subjective experience. They're contributing to the subjective experience that we're having when we consume cannabis. So if I read you correctly, like even though there's this vast spectrum from, from what I've read about terpenes, there's like a core 8, 10, maybe 15 that commonly reoccur in different cannabis strains, sort of common like Lemon, for say, which one's lemon is uh, linoline? Lemonine. Lemonine. Mm-hmm. Lemonine. And mm-hmm. so, my first sort of takeaway was if you enjoy one strain in the lemony region, you may also enjoy the psychoactive effects of another strain with a similar taste. Absolutely. Um, one thing that we're lacking in this state of Washington is we can't smell the product. It's all in sealed bags. So uh, the right. nose, nose so, is actually not so strange. Right. So we have to put it on the package and you're, you're absolutely hitting it, um, something really important on the head because eventually we're going to try to do away with this sativa hybrid indica thing because it's totally false scientifically. And it's not helping and it's a crutch for bud tenders right now. Because a sativa, or, or it, I could walk into a bud tender right now, and they're going to tell me an indica is going to send you into your couch, and an indica is going to be sedative, and an indica is going to do this. Well, I'm actually a hyper, like overly hyper energetic person, and an indica actually calms me down and puts me in a really nice neutral position with clarity, and I'm not so uh, spun up with energy. Whereas someone who has naturally low energy, that very well will put them into a sedative state. So we can't really talk about it in those terms anymore. So the terpenes are going to help us do that because lemonine, like you said, for 90% of people energizes them and uplifts them. And so if you like that, then you're going to want to stick in the categories of other strains that are high in lemonine. I met with one woman, I, I have isolated terpenes when I do educational events. She smelt uh, linalool. Now, linalool is a terpene that's found in lavender. Most people really enjoy the scent of lavender. Um, it's relaxing to them, men and women alike, right? Well, she smells linalool, and 
she immediately puts it away from her face and is, you know, disgusted, essentially. And so that's a really interesting reaction. Let's have a conversation. Well, when we d- discussed what other items in nature this woman is, um, oh, excuse me, that linalool is, lo- is located or found in, we uh, discovered on the list birch. And this woman is actually allergic to birch. So I pointed out to her that she should be wary of smoking strains that are predominantly linalool because she could very well have an allergic reaction. And allergic reactions with cannabis, I've noticed, can be as much as just a headache or kind of putting you in a bit of a bad mood. To move on to a second, like, I'm I'm wondering if I'm following this correctly. A lot of these scents <laughs> are things that, like, I was over at, like, Muji yesterday you know, they have those little like diffusers that blow that kind of like right. mm-hmm. um, uh, vapor into the air, like a scented vapor. Uh-huh. And so a lot of these like smells are kind of in common, like also like in the perfume world and, and certainly in the like cooking worlds. And the idea is that the THC is putting you in some sort of a heightened state that opens up a receptivity to the psychoactive uh, accents of these different scents? Uh, they're not actually psychoactive um, okay. in, in their own right. Yeah. They actually, their properties are therapeutic and not to say that THC, by the way, is also therapeutic. Um, sure. I'm not a THC hater. I'm a full um, supporter. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, having a, having a strain that's bred for just THC is really missing out on the other parts of the plant that are therapeutic for individuals. So it's really important that we um, not only do that, but you are you are following uh, correctly for the most part. Though I like to equate it to beer. Uh, hops are also have a lot of the same terpenes as cannabis. So uh, for most people, when you have that first or second beer, you're feeling uh, elated, a little bit happy, uh, relaxed, feeling you're starting to groove with the evening. Well, those are those are the terpenes and the hops that are giving these antidepressants. Uh, an anti-stress release uh, feelings. Well, if you keep going and keep consuming, that's when that alcohol starts kicking in and you start feeling that drunkness. That's what I equate to THC, that psychoactivity of THC. So that's how I try to parallel it be- with uh, with drinking. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I also think that if you lined up five beers on a bar and we're like, uh, take like a two ounce sip of each of these and like rank them, people have a pretty easy time um, talking about which beer they gravitated to. But it seems like the dominant force in like how strains are selected is people pre-selecting the effect they want, not necessarily like taste testing themselves about like what they actually like in nature. Yeah, which we could totally check. We could totally do that. So, you know, if I'm sitting with you and you're you're wanting to feel energized, you might, I would bet money that you would be more attracted to drinking a lemonade than like a milkshake at that moment. Definitely. Right. You know, it's, it's all about the vibe of the situation that you're currently in and where you want to go. If I'm doing a, an event at 5 p.m. and I'm talking to consumers and guiding them toward product. Um, I'm going to ask specific questions. Are you going home? Are you going to meet friends? Okay, you're going home. What are you doing when you're getting home? Or do you need to write a research paper? Do you need to get your laundry done? 
Are you supposed to be cooking? Are your children going to be there? Do you want to talk to your children? Do you not want to, you know, do you want to be chatty? Do you not want to be chatty? You know, I can, uh, because I've experienced the same products with consistent terpene profiles, I've gotten to the point where I can actually point someone towards rather specific strain based on what they're trying to accomplish. I think that's what most people want. But how does that square with sort of where we started, which was if almost like two things can have opposite effects on the same person, how do we consistently like calibrate our personal chemistry against the sort of universals in the terpene world? Yeah, it actually, and it, every expert will tell you this, and it's not great. Trial and error. That's what is I always what think. Is needed. Yeah. It's trial and error. You're going to have to try it. But you alluded to it earlier. Oh, if I really like this strain that has a lot of lemonine in it, maybe I should try other strains that are really high in lemonine. And that's what we're trying to do as an industry with recategorizing and reshaping how cannabis is sold. Is That is exactly the way. But uh, people need to pay attention um, to what they're consuming and then and then come back and say, okay, I tried that. I didn't like that, or I really liked that. What else do you have that's like that? Or right. that was terrible. Take me to the other side of the spectrum. <laughs> so what does the Terp School do? Who is the like? Who is the intended client uh, <laughs> for this education? The intended client is the bud tender, but we have found that we have a wider market than that uh, because the lack of cannabis information is uh, it's next to none. Uh, if you're going to be really honest, and even a lot of these terpene trials, they're on mice, they're not on humans. So what we're working with right now is is limited. And so I created uh, what what I took issue with the conversations that I was hearing inside of the retail stores here in Washington State and the other states that I've shopped in. I've shopped in in almost every legal recreation state now at this point. And uh, it was horrifying, <laughs> one, from a cannabis knowledge <laughs> uh, background, but also from a sales background. Uh, we've noticed that not only do they not know how to uh, talk about cannabis, but they also don't have retail skills in general. A lot of the bud tenders are younger. 84% of bud tenders leave before the three-month mark. Um and each state has its own issues because it's created its own version of, of what they think the law should be. And it's all just one big experiment. So what I would say is we all need to remain flexible. And so what Terp School is, is it's a platform for experts to be able to access the public easily. Um, I have a lot of people that own labs and processing companies, et cetera. The list goes on. Um, but they are busy with their own company, but they need to get this education out in order for their companies to be successful. And so that's what I noticed is that in our state and other states, we're missing the boat um, because not only are we perhaps not giving them the correct product that they need at that time to keep them coming back, but we're not, we're also not upselling them either. Um, a dabbed out 21 year old just wants to throw a bag on a counter and have you leave. Well, a 35-year-old might say, well, I have a sales background. They're not leaving without, uh, they need joints, they need flour, they need CBD, they need hemp wick, and they need a lighter. That's five items that they should leave with. And, you know, vape companies, it's different. The, the bud tender's not knowing what cartridge goes on what battery. <laughs> it's just a, it's 
So it's a huge problem. So that I created Turk School as a way for bud tenders to build confidence uh, in themselves so they can handle the objections at the counter. Because what we've noticed is that, you know, after a year or two of really um, shoving this terpene knowledge down their throat, that's all, that's all great. They understand terpenes to a certain extent, but translating it into a sales conversation also handling objections is something that they're really struggling with. So I hold live workshops and we have a online course in development. And if someone takes this course, are they like more employable within the industry? Absolutely. That's, that's the goal. I don't know if this future is good for your business, but I'll um, put out a hypothetical future, which is, isn't it likely that in, the somewhat nearish future, a large number of people are buying cannabis from like 7-Eleven gas station type establishments that totally bypass any sense of like a, like a trained sales, sales staff. And I understand this is a somewhat dystopian, probably way too stoned out future. But um, what do you think the trajectory of the retail market is? I mean, we I, we have those stores already <laughs> on the side of the highway. You know, in 10 years or right nowhere. now. <laughs> <laughs> or right now. Yeah, they, those stores exist, unfortunately. Uh, they would never carry any products in their stores that I would certainly consume. It's pesticide-laden, uh, nasty, low-quality, $1 per gram kind of deal. And they would never... Um, uh, support craft cannabis and are very mean when you try to sample your craft cannabis <laughs> because in their opinion, cannabis is all the same and that's just not true. It's just not true. Um, there's a lot of product that's actually really disgusting. That's on the market. Um, the regulatory bodies just aren't in place. How are they making any money selling $1 grams? I mean, I see even in like nice dispensaries, $30 outdoor eighths, $25 outdoor eighths, which to me, just doing the back of the envelope math, I mean, you make money on it, but it's not a huge margin product. To get down to a dollar a gram, like what are they making, pennies per sale? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think a lot of these companies are going out of business um, because yeah, that's just the end of the road for them at that point um, if they're at that if they're at that mark. But you never know who's doing what. Um, larger brands can also buy, curate products from other farms and resell it under another brand. So you don't know if they're doing that to cover up a little bit of a loss, but not much. Everyone's scraping by is what I'll say. And that's, I have myself a little giggle when people want to start entering this market now. Like, <laughs> I hope you brought lots of, I hope you brought so much money. Shouldn't you at this point, <laughs> and I if, hope you're prepared if you want to start it. a cannabis business, just go camp out in some prohibition state and just wait to be like jumping through then? Like, it doesn't seem worth it to try to like yes. be like in Colorado or Washington right now. I would never. I would never. Um, that's exactly what I would do. I would sit somewhere. I would study. I would get my branding and marketing in place. I'd get my packaging in place. I would have everything lined up and ready to go for your brand. Brand is so important. A lot of these farmers didn't put money aside for branding and marketing. Um, and so that's, that's becomes an issue. 
Um, don't blow, don't blow too much money. You need to be conservative with your spending in this industry to stay afloat, it would seem. Um, but yeah, that's exactly what I would do. I would just sit pretty. I would get involved with legislators. I would, I would move around. I would make sure people knew I was an activist in that area. And, uh, yeah, I would be prepared for, um, a new onslaught because, uh, people building out indoor grows right now, I just can't see how they're going to catch up and what are they catching up to? The other thing to point out is the regulatory bodies come out with new regulations as they see fit and will cause companies to trash tens of thousands of dollars worth of work, product, um, signage. Happens all the time. Um, Our LCB just did it last week. They went after edibles. So there are companies that literally have to start over because their edibles are, have been deemed appealing to children. Yeah, this is not a, uh, this is not a uh, market for the uh, um, uh, unsure handed. It seems like uh, there's going to be a lot of busts before there's big booms. But uh, so I wonder if you actually can help me like answer one question Um, Uh in New York city, there has been a, a flourishing of CBD products in the last year. And (laughs) these CBD products are not the CBD products that you can buy in Washington state. And that I've purchased in California, which are generally one-to-one or 10 to one THC to CBD products. These are completely Mm -hmm. THC less sort of bizarrely marketed as like hemp isolate, but like full spectrum hemp isolate. What is that? And is there any proven medical basis for it? There is proven medical basis for full spectrum uh, CBD benefits. That's absolutely the truth. But what I mentioned earlier is that THC can be mitigated by CBD. Well, CBD can be more therapeutic if it's in combination with THC. So while this CBD gateway drug, as I like to call it, <laughs> uh, we have all the house moms across the country. <laughs> Ooh, give me I some like of that, that CBD. Okay, I'm going to credit yeah, you I'm with a- coining the term gateway CBD. Because I've been, people ask yeah, me about it, it and I've struggled. I'm like, it's kind of fake. Well, it's not totally fake, but it's fake. It's not <laughs> as good as what you can get in Cal, but I guess it might do something. Right. And so what I would suggest for the folks that are unfortunately not able to access a recreational cannabis market yet, and I say yet because they will eventually and sooner rather than later, I would imagine. Yes. Um, you want to look for CBD products. You want to go to their website and really see if they go into detail on where they source their CBD from. If they say, oh, we get our CBD from a hemp farm in Colorado and blah, blah, blah. That's a really good sign. If they're not mentioning where they're getting their CBD, they're most likely getting it from China. You can go on Alibaba or AliExpress, these uh, you know websites that connect you to manufacturers in China and buy you know your powdered CBD. We are not, we are not endorsing listeners do this, but you can do yes, this. Yes, please don't do this. <laughs> do not buy CBD on AliExpress and start a weird off-brand CBD business. We're not encouraging you to do that. Um, sure. Oh, but you could totally go do that. But yeah, um, it, it's going to be a short gold rush for you if you do that. Like, um, because eventually, I hope people are going to catch up. 
I'm just sort of skeptical that like pouring CBD and everything in this way is really like what people like what people were talking about when CBD became like a like a sort of a movement. Um, and, you know, for me, again, looking at it as a gateway drug, it's like, oh, these people are a little bit misinformed, but they're also getting hip to cannabis. I, li- I like your positivity. <laughs> I-, I-, I feel like you're, you're a good teacher and that you're um, cheering on the enthusiasm, however it comes. So for you personally, like, how did you come to this stuff? How did you end up uh, starting the Terp School? What's your history with cannabis? Uh, I was sick, uh, and I had fibromyalgia-like symptoms, so I had chronic, and I have a crooked spine, so I have invisible diseases, if you will. I wake up every morning with nausea and things like that, and when I was working a corporate job, it was uh, the negativity on top of my medical issues that started becoming exacerbated, and I was living in Arizona where they have a thing called uh, valley fever where the sand gets turned up and spores enter the air. And I have very sensitive um, bronchioles. And so I became affected like the, uh, by that. So I was living a life of um, uh, chronic pain and flu-like symptoms daily. And so I decided I needed to move to a recreational legal state so I could have cannabis and reputable cannabis to actually help me. None of this fake so CBD stuff. To, uh, the real stuff. <laughs> yeah, the real stuff. I didn't. <laughs> no you know, gateway drug. You were past the gateway drug point. <laughs> I skipped Gateway CBD. <laughs> you're, <laughs> Give like, me the THC. you're like, I, I think I'm ready for <laughs> intermediate French. Okay, I'm I've I've already done the basics. <laughs> right, and I was sick of buying whatever from some 22 year old that has no idea what what it yeah. is, and, and you know you don't know if it's going to send you in a tailspin or not. But anyway, um, so I moved to Washington State, and I was kind of disappointed uh, in the first product that I, in the very first round of products that I was trying. Is this post-legalization we're talking about? This is post-legalization. So you went Um, straight into like the belly of the beast, full stock and selection. Yeah, I was like, I, 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 my very first purchase was Durban Poison from Main Street Marijuana in Vancouver, Washington, just as I drove over the border and it was really disappointing. I was kind of baked for about 10 to 15 minutes, and then it fell off. And so I said, well, this is strange. Well, then I uh, was able to come across a brand that um, actually reduced my chronic pain and had me, you know, high, if you will, or just feeling the effects of the reduced pain for a very extended period of time. Well, come to find out that was because of terpenes, and I'm actually now the marketing director of that farm. After um, I was only consuming their product for almost a year as a, as a patient, if you will, I wasn't ever registered as a patient, but I, I was using their product daily uh, as medicinal dosage. And now I don't have any of those symptoms and I also consume less now. What is the, what so, is the name of the farm? I want to, I want to check it out when I uh, check it out if I'm in uh, Washington. Sure. It is trailblazing is the name trailblazing productions is our full name, but uh, we are a hundred percent pesticide free, hundred percent led uh, indoor farm in Bellingham, Washington. And we do, uh, they're just good people turning out a good quality product for patients. Uh, so all of that cheap outdoor, it may get me really high for 20 minutes, but then it's gone. And that's just not something I'm looking for as a patient. 
looking for something that's been cared for, that's been dried properly, that's been cured properly, that's been hand trimmed. So I still have the trichomes present because that's where all of the benefits are living. Anyone hand trimming, you're immediately on my shit list. Do not hand trim. If you're hand trimming your bud to stay afloat, you need to sell your business and think of something else to do. At the end of each show, I like to ask the same questions of each guest. You got we, we you got a few minutes here. We're good. Absolutely. Okay. First question is: um, In an absolutely ideal setting for you, you're at home, free night. Um, what is your What is your ritual? How do you like to enjoy uh, marijuana? Are you a uh, a joint person, a bong person, a dab person, and quite specifically, like what is the perfect setup for you? I would say uh, joints is what is smoked the most uh, in my our household, um, but I also uh, do dab quite a bit. Um, I find that uh, bowls of flour or even out of the bong takes me uh, more product than I'd like to feel the effects of the. Uh, pain relief. And so for me, a dab is just easy. It's just quick and easy. And so that's why I like it. But I, you know, after doing dabs for a period of time, does the like dabs, st- like stigma no longer affect you? For me, I'm always like, I don't know if I want like a blowtorch in my life. I mean, I do have to giggle. I mean, back in the day, we would take a huge blowtorch and dab rigs like out onto canoes on lakes. It was just <laughs> ridiculous. It was almost like a joke. Like, how how ridiculous can they possibly be with this dabbing thing? And my joke is always like, hey, if Congress knows we're doing this, no wonder it's still Schedule 1. Yeah. Like, no. <laughs> yeah. If they, if they know we're lighting glass on fire with torches, yeah. But, uh but yeah, it is hard because even I, I know like one of my bosses is not too keen on the, you know, people being super dabbed out, but I'm a patient and, and taking a dab or two actually doesn't send me sideways like it might send the next person. So it is hard to deal with that stigma. So like, I think um, I've, I have personally made people in my company um, as well as the industry as a whole realize that a lot of the people that are attracted to working in this industry are patients in themselves in of themselves. Interesting. And that's why they're here. And so need to be careful because just because it's a young, beautiful woman or a strong looking man, it does not mean they don't have MS or seizures or paralyzing PTSD. Um, so we all need to be a little sensitive. So, but for my bronchioles though, dabs are um, better for me. Yeah. I mean, it's smoking of high volume of joints. It's always funny, like to get really deep into this, like, oh no, like pesticides or whatever. It's like, eh, I'm still smoking this piece of paper. Uh, you know, at a certain level, it's just kind of like, <laughs> but um, for you and your joints, are, are you the primary joint roller uh, in your smoking practice? I'm not. I, uh, my partner, he is the, uh, he even carries index cards and scissors with him at all times. <laughs> wow. It's uh, <laughs> a prepared person. I respect that the person who carries the scissors with him gets to be the joint roller. Like if you're going to go to that level of preparation, you've clearly got the job. 
Well, you know, I'm kind of picky with who I partner up with. And I said, I always wanted a man who would be willing to roll me a joint at three o'clock in the morning in bed. And I found him. And Listen <laughs> to this advice, young men who are listening. Don't be, don't be the man caught unable to roll a joint. You know, I have little hands and I'm clumsy and I just, I can't really pull off a joint really well. And there's something about having a, a man roll it for me to call me traditional. <laughs> hey. You you came here for the freedom, okay? You didn't move to Washington to uh, have your joint uh, joint rolling uh, questioned. Uh, okay, uh, another question: um, What is a place? Could be anywhere in the world. Doesn't have to be weed related. Maybe somewhere in Washington as your adopted home. Uh, what is a place that's special to you? A place that you uh, revisit in life, or that you have a lot of memories of? Uh, Iceland is my favorite place in the world. Wow. I've been 39 countries total, and Iceland is by far the most magical place. Um, do yourself a favor and go there for at least a week, anyone listening. Uh, it's really special, and they uh, actually are the highest per capita consuming <laughs> of cannabis in the world. Really? You'll be wow. at home as a stoner. Yeah. Okay, most well, it sounds like it's not, not going to be hard for people to get weed in Iceland then. I, uh, <laughs> no. Wow, I would have not no. guessed that. Yeah, it's a really obscure place that people don't really think of, and it's just really, um, really a special, special place. Can you recommend a uh, viewing experience, uh, a stone viewing experience, TV or movie uh, that you would highly recommend uh, to someone else? I, You know what? Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory is. We're talking about the Gene Wilder original. Absolutely. It would be really weird if you recommended the Johnny Depp one. I'd be like, that could be a bad trip. You didn't say horror film. No. Um, So the Gene Wilder uh, 1974 Willy Wonka. Very good. Yes, but you know what? It's pretty dark. Uh, It's a dark movie. It's a dark movie. Roald Dahl is all pretty dark, ultimately, I think, right? Yeah, I would agree. I mean, and you know that they didn't script that boat scene even. And they're going through the tunnel. So the actors didn't even know what's gonna, what was going to happen to them in the tunnel. I did not know that. Um, yeah. Can you recommend a snack, a favorite snack? Chips are always, is always go for the chips. I like to do chips and guacamole and uh, maybe some pico de gallo too. That's what I like to munch on. If you're going to munch, munch on vegetables. I like to ask everyone this, and I've gotten wildly different answers, which means that um, no one knows the future. When do you predict, if at all, that we will have national uh, legalization in America? Three years. Three years. Okay. You're you're firmly in the optimist camp. I think that is uh, tied for the soonest prediction. So that would be potentially in the next president's uh, run. That's correct. Very good. I and like you it. could even see it with this president. <laughs> uh, it's, it's possible. I think that at, at this current moment, there, only, there are only three states that have not even gone as far to recognize CBD. That's Idaho, South Dakota, and Kansas. So that means every other state in our union has at the very least uh, acknowledged gateway CBD. <laughs> <It's> not medical <laughs> marijuana. <laughs> Uh, sweet gateway CBD. CBD. 
<laughs> when I will say real quick that it, it works because I see older uh, seniors come in in their 70s and 80s and say, hey, I've been using CBD cream, but I come to find out, it turns out that if it also has THC in it, it'll be even better for me. Is that true? That's great. That's a great sign. We're going to see that continue. Um, what is one thing uh, you are looking forward to uh, looking out over the expanse of uh, your future? Uh, more people understanding that they are born with an endocannabinoid system, that consuming cannabis products in whichever way is actually bulking up that system. And that system creates homeostasis in our body, which means it's, that's the system that keeps us balanced and healthy. You know, I shouldn't meet a nurse. <laughs> who doesn't know what an endocannabinoid system is. So I'm looking forward to uh, medical professionals uh, understanding this more and just in general. The, uh, the stigma is still there and it's really quite funny, but um, a lot of us need to realize that we're living in a bubble and we have a long way to go. Where can people uh, who would like to find out about Terp School uh, find you? You can find more information about Terp School on our website, uh, which is www.terp.school. No need for a .com. We are a .school. And that's where you can find information about where we will be holding our uh, workshop next and how you can follow us on social media. And then that would keep you up to date for when the online course is going to be ready, which we're hoping for first quarter 2019. We have been waiting to see what the regulatory bodies are doing in this deep state regarding a bud tender training requirement. So uh, our course is not out this year, but next year it will be ready. Very good. Well, I will. Uh, I will be following you, and uh, I hope to. Uh, I hope to visit and uh, sample uh, some of your state's bud tending trainees uh, recommendations at some point in the future. Yeah. Thank you. Looking forward to hosting you in our green state. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Amanda. <laughs> thank you, Aaron. You have a great day. Hey, hey. Uh, thank you so much for listening to Stoner. Uh, this episode was edited by Justine Dom, who also helped produce the show. Uh, you can get in touch. Hi at stoner.co. We'll see you next week.